Welcome everyone to this week's edition of Bombercast Round 14 Post Carlton Win Edition. I'm your regular co-host, The Grizz. Here with me is Bonta34. Bonta, always good to get a win, even better when it's against Carlton. Yeah, it was a good game. It was, it was sort of interesting, I, I thought, being at the Grand. I haven't been to a game for a while, and it's a great atmosphere. You sort of forget how good the atmosphere is, especially when we get on a roll and start banging through some goals. Um, it, but it really was, I think, a tale of two halves, wasn't it? I mean, that first quarter, I thought we dominated and didn't make the most of our opportunities. And that second quarter, I think you could say the same about them. And then after that, we just blew them out of the park and did what good sides, dare I say, good sides do, and that is put the foot to the throat of the weaker opposition and don't let them in towards the back end. Yeah, and it's interesting. So they had more scoring shots than we did. I, I genuinely think it just came down to who took the most out of the momentum. So we were chatting with Jeremiah last week, and we were sort of discussing whoever won this game would basically be who got the game on their terms. And a bit like what you said, both teams really had it on their terms, one half each. I think Carlton got the game they wanted in the first half. They just couldn't convert. That six sixteen, and that uh, I think there were you know three eight or something at half time, or no more than that. There were forty points. Uh, they were, oh no, they were five ten or something at half time, and then we got the game on our terms in the second half and kicked away, and we made the most of it. And I think that's really just it. Conversion at the end of the day. Oh, um, we're three ten. My bad. Yep. Yeah, they were three ten at half time, and and you, you you talk about the conversions, and you know Carlton did have more shots, but they weren't they weren't good shots. Um, a lot of Carlton's shots, especially in that you know first quarter and a half, were running bombs from sixty meters out towards an open goal square and hoping they just get the bounce through. Which you know I, I did say on our board, and I've said to a few people as well that it sort of to me that approach from Carlton really did highlight that they aren't a team; they are just a bunch of individuals running around wearing the same jumper, kicking a football because they just don't look for each other. So you know they're all busy trying to be the hero, and they're all busy focused on their own game, and no player emphasised that greater on Sunday night than Charlie Kernow, I thought, which you, know, you compare to our guys who were prepared to do the team thing, do the little short 45-meter kick, 45-degree uh, kick, sorry, um, you know, do the handballs sideways, backwards, you know, hit up a target inside 50 instead of just trying to be the hero and kicking a 60-meter goal, all that sort of stuff. It, it was a big contrast, I thought. And, yeah, as a result, you know, we got the chocolates. And Carlton, dare I say, are, are probably onto, onto their next era because I can't see Vossi getting past the end of this season. Yeah, it's fascinating watching Carlton because you can see, I can see the talent in that team. What I can't see is how it works together. I would agree in some parts with you in that they certainly do look like 18 individuals as opposed to a collective. But I reckon it's less about them trying to be here and just they're all working in silos. They're all sort of focused on we'll do our role and they just sort of forget the greater context of the team. And sometimes that means <laughs> having a greater understanding of, okay, my job is to pressure, you know, if I'm Matt Owies. But, you know, I'm just getting sucked in the contest of the pressure so much and I'm leaving my defender one-on-one, uh, two-on-one versus, you know, Harry Mackay or something. And just that lack of sort of ability to work cohesively, which, you know, I talked to Jeremiah about this last year. I feel like they're Carlton 2023 is Essendon in 2022. Like just that they had the good year in 2022. They come into this year with raised expectations, even though they probably shouldn't have. And it's all just falling apart. And you can just see it disintegrate. And I think you and I saw that last year, didn't we? With the Bombers just started poorly, never recovered. But it'll be interesting because if if Voss goes, then the entire, or at least the president have to go because Voss was his choice. Sweeping changes, external review, appoint Voss. If they're going to sack Voss, then the president has to go. And as soon as your president 
and your coach goes, you start talking about, you know, sort of sweeping changes through your club and it is a new era at that point. And just from a list management perspective, I, I don't know where they go. They're tied up against a cap. It's very draft picks or anything. But we'll we'll move off Carlton because this is the bomber cast, not the blues cast. But I was really <laughs> impressed with how the team in the second half pivoted. So Zach Merritt going forward was a genius move by Scott, but was only going to work if Zach bought into it. And you just saw first, you know, mid the game kicks a goal. I think he has seven score involvements, six of them in the second half. Just, yeah, I, I was really impressed by how sort of team-centric we were and how, you know, we're willing to pivot and try something different. Yeah, exactly right. With with Zach going forward, it was fantastic. And it, yeah, look, we're not. This isn't the current podcast, but you were right. The team century it does sort of start there because our players brought in. Zach went forward; it was all good. Whereas you compare that to Carlton, Zach went forward, and all of a sudden, you know, you had Ed Kerner who'd been tagging him, didn't have a role to do, and suddenly he was running forward of the ball trying to get the cheap kicks. So yeah, it's sort of it's sort of. It was a great idea because it got Zach into the game, got him out of a spot that he was getting beaten in. And at the same time, amazingly somehow, it, it seemed to cause Carlton to just absolutely fall apart, which was just fascinating to watch. And obviously, you know, through the middle on Sunday night, we, we again, we rave about, about Nick Martin because he was just outstanding in that first half. I think he had 18 touches to half time. But then you look and you go, Jai Corwell had 25-1, Ben Hobbs had 24. And all of a sudden, that midfield that is missing Shield. Parish and Setterfield as well as, and you could probably say, look, they probably missed Merritt a little bit on Sunday night because he really didn't have much influence in there. It took it up to a midfield that, that's still pretty highly rated in Cripps and Walsh and, and Chera and Co. So, yeah, our midfield was was very, very uh, pleasing on, on Sunday night, particularly because we didn't need any of our, you know, A-grade top-line midfielders to be in there for it to happen. Yeah, and Carlton sort of beat us up around the ball in that first half. Like I said, they got the game on their on their terms, and they were getting it forward to centre a lot, but it wasn't with any great efficiency, as you pointed out. It was all sort of shallow entries, long shots at goal, which is you can you can sort of live with that as a team. But I just want to also you know talk about the young that young midfield. Archie Perkins's job on Paddy Cripps was excellent. Like you could just tell that there's a way to you know go with Cripps now as that big athletic midfielder that you know is physical enough to stay with him and run off. And I thought Archie basically kept him to nine disposals at half time, nineteen by the end of the game. You know. <laughs> Uh, he had 139 meters gained with 19 disposals. So what's that? Five less than seven meters yeah. of disposal. Seven meters of disposal. Just completely shut him out. Four kicks, three effective. We, we still weren't dominant around the contest, but where we got them was our tackle pressure and our spread. They just couldn't go with our legs, and you could see with that running set of bounce goal, which was you know Martin to Hobbs to Caldwell to back to Caldwell to Menzi, like. A lot to like, and I did want to ask you this question. Um, we haven't got take it or leave it per se, but do you think Shields, Setterfield, and Parrish all fit back into this team? I have my own view, but I just wanted to ask you first to get your view on it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about that at the moment, and there was a bit of discussion to Parrish thread, and I said it in the Parrish thread at the time that, you know, bringing or holding on to Parrish beyond this year is not necessarily about the fact that he's going to be better than everyone just gives us a bit of depth. But but in answer to your direct question, I think all three do come back in. I just don't see how you can keep that kind of talent out. I have enjoyed watching, you know, Caldwell and Hobbs and even, you know, Snelling doing his, his forward line pressure and, and, and Guelph, who I thought was pretty average on Sunday night. I think he's one you could probably, based on Sunday night's efforts, you could you could swap him out anyway. But yeah, I just don't see how those three don't fit back in. Setterfield just gives us something that we miss. Although having said that, you know, 
Carlton's big bodies and we, we didn't miss it. So maybe maybe we don't need him back in the side. But, but Parrish and Shield, they're still straight up walk back in, no dramas for, for mine. Yeah, I think they'll fit back into the team. I'm not sure they all walk into starting midfield. Setterfield and Parrish probably do, but Shield um, might need to find himself used to playing wing half forward. So he did it against St Kilda and GWS. Well, GWS, yeah, GWS earlier this year. Um, he was quite effective. And I'm just looking at it going, you know, Merritt, Parrish, Setterfield, you know, you keep Caldwell in there, Hobbs, Perkins, Nick Martin, you're starting to run out of midfield rotation very quick. And it doesn't really matter in the way that the game's played anyway because there's such you know huge numbers around the ball. If you're playing wing or half forward and it's on your side of the field, you basically turn into a midfielder anyway. But I think at least this year they will, but there will be questions next year. I just don't think Parrish and Setterfield are the ones who move out, but that's... That's a question for the the. <laughs> the I mean, I, I mean, I look at the team from Sunday night, and, and straight away I just go, "Well, Guelphie comes out, Snelling comes out, and probably Phillips comes out." If you're playing wing or half forward, and it's on your side of the field, you basically turn into a midfielder anyway. But um, I, I think at least this year they will. But there will be questions next year. I just don't think Parish and Setterfield are the ones who move out. But that's. That's a question for the the. <laughs> the I mean, I, I mean, I look at the team from Sunday night, and, and straight away I just go, "Well, Guelphie comes out, Snelling comes out, and probably Phillips comes out because we necessarily won't have to play two rucks going forward. Hopefully, if, depending on what happens, obviously with Wiedemann. But if Wiedemann comes out, then you know you're still playing your two rucks, and you play two meter Peter as, as your tall target alongside the resting ruck. So I, I look at that and go, "That's just three changes, no brainers to me." But yeah, I don't I don't see any reason why Parish. Yeah, there's a lot of talk. Oh, we've been doing it without Parish. We have been, but we still haven't been dominating clearances. We still are, we, got, we got beaten around the ground on Sunday night. We beat we won center clearances, but around the ground we got beat. I just don't see how anyone can argue that you know having someone like Parish in there is not a positive. It's just just mind blowingly stupid to me. Yeah, and you look at the teams that we've played since he's been out, with the exception of Brisbane, it's been. What was it? It was uh, Richmond, who are basically bottom six at the moment, West Coast, North Melbourne, Carlton. But it's not exactly Merger's row there. Uh, <laughs> whereas if you look at the five weeks that prior to that, when Parrish was playing, it was what? It was Port Adelaide, Geelong, Collingwood, Melbourne, St Kilda and GWS. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, one, let, the context is important there. But, yeah, wh- wh- one thing I did want to touch on, is, is our back six again. I know we talk about it a lot, but if you look at our name back six in Ridley, Redmond, McGrath, Laverde, Heppel and, and Zerk, they had 109 disposals on Sunday night. 104 of those disposals were effective. That's, yeah. that's, in, that's insane numbers. And the thing is, people I know people disagree with effective disposal and disposal efficiency, and, and they're right. It's not an exact science. But that's still insane. For your back six to generate that quality of ball movement out of your back 50, you know, moving it forward, no wonder that we we won the game. I mean, if your back if your back six is going to be travelling at greater than ninety five percent by disposal efficiency, you're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, and particularly when well, I think the stat is going at the moment that um, the teams that make the grand final every year basically score sixty to seventy percent of their scores off turnover. So if you, if you win the bat boy, you're back fifteen, you can transition it well. You're in good stead. And I think that's why we're the best back-to-forward team in the competition in terms of turning a rebound 50 into a, an inside 50. And that's, that's why our, our defence really does look after the ball. Now, part of that 
you know, we play a very high uncontested mark game, so it's easy to get your disposal efficiency number up when you're, you're hitting short targets, but it's a symptom of the process, right? So we play an uncontested mark game and that worked because Carlton couldn't spread with us. So we were switching it from side to side in defence consistently and Carlton's forward line just didn't have the legs to chase us. And you could just tell that it was working. You know, Dyson Heppel had 23 disposals, uh, but he only had 97 metres gain. So there's a lot of lateral disposals there. But, you know, he wasn't turning it over, which is the main point. And disposal efficiency as a rule is a really helpful guide as opposed to an exact number. If you've got a really high disposal efficiency, it means you're looking after the ball. Take or leave 5%. Because I think if you kick it longer than 45 metres and provided it's not intercepted directly, it's an effective kick. So, you know, you've got to take that into account. But I know you're probably passionate is probably the wrong word about this, but just a note on Brandon Dirk Thatcher. How do you see his game on the weekend? I thought he got exposed one-on-one a little bit against Harry Mackay. Now, I don't think he's Robinson Crusoe there. Harrison, uh, Harry Mackay is a, an all-stirring caliber forward, um, and he got a lot of free kicks because he has that notoriety. But how, how did you see Zerk's game on the weekend? Because I, I think the way Baldwin's playing in the VFL... You know, Zerk's not vulnerable at the moment, but it may not be long. Yeah, look, I, again, I didn't I didn't have any issues. It's the same as when we talked about him after the West Coast game. I didn't have any great issues with Zerk on Sunday night because people seem to be of this opinion at the moment that Mackay's out of form and is, is useless and, and, and all this sort of stuff. The reality is he's out of form in front of the goals. He's still, yeah. getting, uh, he's still doing very well around the ground. So if you look at, you know... Uh, if you look at Harry's game on on Sunday night, he got that. Yeah, he, he missed that snap around the corner from thirty five metres out. It's probably the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, didn't make the <laughs> distance. Um, but he only took four marks. So, you know, he, he only took four marks for the whole for the whole game. So if you're if you're saying you're giving away one mark per quarter to an all Australian quality forward, you're probably going to take that. Yeah. I, I don't see. I don't see why you don't take that. Um, of course, the issue is that you know Zert gave away four free kicks and Harry got four free kicks, and people saying, "Well, he's panicked," but. It did appear to me there was a period there on that in that second quarter where the umpires were just determined. To, it seemingly determined to give Harry Mackay a goal because he just kept getting some really soft free kicks. There was one there where he actually ran back um, with his back to the ball, grabbed Zerk's jumper, and and went to sort of ragdoll Zerk. So Zerk grabbed hold of him because they had the jumper, and it, and Mackay turned around. The umpire paid a free kick against Zerk, and it's like, well, hang on, they got each <laughs> other. There was that one. There was that one that he got his goal from where you know Zerk. Didn't actually push him or chop. He didn't even chop his arm. Didn't actually get anywhere near his arm. Just basically, you know, sort of can into his back, but was still contesting. You know, didn't push, didn't do anything. So it was a good, it was a good body contest. And the interesting part was, you know, Jack Silvani did the same thing to Andrew McGrath in the last quarter, but because Jack Silvani's the forward, he got away with it. So you know, I I, I just looked at I, I, again. I think you know people get a little bit frustrated because Zerk, when he makes a mistake, being the last man in defence. It does stand out at the time. It stands it looks, out. And yeah, it, just, it looks, it looks horrible. Yeah, it looks horrible. But if you just take a deep breath, watch his game the next day, you look back and you go, eh, you know, two free kicks that probably weren't there, you know, four marks over a game. It's actually not that bad. It's it's, it's a pretty pretty handy game. And and Baldwin, I know, is still um, absolutely tearing up the VFL. I, I just question, is he a better option than Zerk for for someone like you know Harry McKay? Because Kane's not. Huge, is he? He's only 193 centimeters. So yeah, um, he's only he's only I think a couple centimeters. So he's 194. He's only two centimeters shorter than Zerk. 
So which, which when you're talking about key defenders, isn't that isn't that big? But I, I think your main point still stands in that he did pretty well, considering they actually had 15 more inside 50s than we did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which um, is pretty crazy when you think about it. Harry Mackay kicked, Mackay and Kerno kicked three goals, four and two absolute non-scores between them. Um, yeah, I think you're right. You take that most days of the week. To be honest, I mean, Charlie Kerno is exactly what I was was doing exactly what I was saying earlier in the podcast about trying to be the hero. I mean, I, 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 I've said it on the board. I'm going to say it again. I know this isn't Blues podcast, but it absolutely blew my mind in the first quarter when he was 60 meters out. He had two players by themselves in the pocket. One was 40 meters out. One was 25 meters out. He looked directly at them and he elected to play on and try and kick the goal from 65 meters. And yeah. I just sat there and went. You cannot be serious. If I if I was Michael Voss, I would have benched him for the quarter and gone, that is the shittest play you will see tonight. It yeah. was just horrendous. I, I thought is um I thought in that last quarter it was, I think it was him and Owies both were there and it was clearly Owies ball. Like I know there's been a couple of key forwards in the media going, Oh, it's a key forwards area, stay out of it. But Mo always was in the best position to take that mark and you could just you could tell he thought Kerno was there and pulled out, and Kerno didn't go for the ball. And so it just—it's one of those things that it's like you know Kyle Langford running off after a free kick to the interchange. It just looks bad. You can understand yeah. how it happened. It just looks horrific. But speaking of key forwards, it's been you know twenty minutes. We still haven't talked about this guy yet, so it's probably a, a, an error on our behalf. Just a, a handy five on return for Peter Wright, as if he never left Bonds. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually discussing. Um, with some North Melbourne posters on their board prior to their game because there was that rumour that he was coming back and they were sort of saying, oh, you can't bring him back in the AFL. You've got to give him VFL match fitness first. And I said, you, you, know, you don't you don't take your Ferrari out of the garage to drive it down to the supermarket. That's not what you do with your top line. And it was proof was on Sunday night. You know, he's he's a gun. He's still a gun. And and playing him in the VFL would have been an absolute bloody disgrace. And and Brad Scott quite rightly brought him straight back in. And it didn't look like he missed a beat. I mean, that third quarter where he kicked three, that was uh, that was almost the the Bulldogs of twenty twenty one game where he just sort of took the game by the scruff of his neck and and led us led us to the promised land. Um, because we you know without him there to kick those three. Does the third quarter unfold like it did? I, I don't know. I, I'd say it probably doesn't, to be honest. Yeah, well, it, it's an interesting one because the, the match fitness thing is we tend to, our injury list sort of prognosis tends to be really conservative and it seems like they're building, they're incorporating into that the an extra two or three weeks to get them to sort of match fitness at some capacity. But the thing about Peter Wright is he he played basically as a stay-at-home full forward. I'm not sure how much fitness you need, um, to to be honest. And and the other thing is it was a it was a shoulder injury, so he could still run. Yeah, exactly. Um, so exactly it wasn't right. it wasn't like his tank. It's not like a groin or a knee where you can't you're not running for five weeks. Like he was still able to do a fair bit of fitness, get on the bike, do that sort of stuff. But what he gave us was something that we've sort of been piecemealing together with Phillips and Wiedemann and a little bit of Draper, which was just a focal point in attack. And someone that, even if he's not getting the ball, as soon as he was on the move, you could tell two or three Carlton defenders were, you know, pivoting their heads, looking to where he was and getting drawn into the the contest. And it was opening up space for other forwards. That, that goal to Zach Merritt doesn't happen at the start of the third without his man basically running straight in front of Peter Wright to try chop off that short kick. So that's what he does for us. And, 
you know, it was probably a good week to bring him in because now he has a week to recover if he was a bit sore, a bit tired before uh, the big game in Perth in a fortnight. But it was great to have him back because I think we sorely missed his uh, his ability to to take a mark and kick straight at least at the start of the game. Then you got our other key forward in in, in Wiedemann. And, he, he, yeah, he wasn't great, let's be honest. But it, it's it always amuses me because he, he wasn't great. But statistically, I mean, Peter Wright took seven marks. Wiedemann took five. Peter Wright had eight touches. Wiedemann had 14. You know, Wright kicks straight to so get the five. Wiedemann doesn't kick straight, has two, and I think he missed another one as well. So, you know, if he kicked straight and kicked three, then all of a sudden we're, we're talking about the, 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 the renaissance of, of Sam Wiedemann on Sunday night. But, yeah, his confidence in front of goal is just shot to pieces. But having said that, much like, hilariously, much like Harry Mackay for Carlton, he's still providing a little something between the arcs. And I'm just not sure at the moment, do you drop him? I mean, what, what's your take, Chris? Do you, do, you, do you take him out of the side now or oh, do you? It, it, it's all, so my thing is you don't drop him unless you have a replacement. And so who's the replacement on the VFL? It's not Patrick Voss. Patrick Voss, and I've said this a thousand times, Patrick Voss is vying for the same spot as Kyle Langford and Jake Stringer. He's not vying for that genuine key position forward post. He's a he's an oversized mid-sizer, if that makes sense. And then you've got basically Jaden Hunter, you know, Kyle you know, Kane Baldwin, if you're not seeing him forward, but I think he's probably set in defense now. So it's really, you know, with Harry Jones injured, it's him or Jaden Hunter. And Jaden spent the club for five minutes. So I don't think you can drop Wiedemann unless you're going to go the one key forward and the two genuine rucks. I'm with you in the sense that he gets to the ball enough. It's this weird thing with him where he, there are so many times where you think, oh, he's going to mark this. And he gets his both hands to it and just drops it, just gets the dropsies or. He gets, you know, he makes a great lead to Stringer, gets the ball, Stringer hits him on the tip, lines up, kicks a point, barely scrapes it in. So you sit there and you go, he does 90% of the work. It's just that last 10%. And I think it is all above the head because historically kicking has been fine for him, but it's not this season. So clearly there's something mental going on there. But I don't think you can drop him just because you don't have a replacement for starters. But he's doing enough, like you said, around the ground. I don't know if you don't have a replacement because Hunter was very good in the VFL against Carlton. I mean, we got belt, we got belted in the VFL. He still took nine marks, kicked four goals, you know. And there is that little bit of romance about giving him his debut in, in WA. So, <laughs> well, there is, there is there is always that chance, especially if they keep going with the two ruckmen. Because I, I mean, thing is, if we, if you're gonna only go with one ruckman, I keep playing Wiedemann because I, I don't want to put right into the ruck, and I'm sure as hell aren't throwing Hunter into the ruck. But yeah. I, there's there's something about me that says I reckon they could they could really give a chance to uh, to Hunter and I, I'm also just wondering when the other one in the VFL is when Sardis is going to make his debut because 25 touches if he does that again there's going to be Essendon fans baying for blood if he doesn't get brought in yeah I thought I don't think you bring Sardis into the game against Fremantle um, but I think you could definitely bring him in maybe the week after that or you know I think that's Adelaide in Melbourne and then we've got. Port Adelaide and Melbourne as well. So you've got two games sort of in Melbourne that you could debut him. I don't know. Like, can you go back to Sam Wiedemann if you drop him for Jaden Hunter? Like, um, you can you can absolutely go back to him. Oh, if, if you bring Hunter in and he, you know, he's he's clearly still just a massive step below AFL level and, and VFL's where he's at at the moment. I have no hesitations bringing Wiedemann back in. But yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, yeah it's interesting. I just, I just think Wiedemann, I've, I've said this for a few weeks now, he's not playing badly, he's playing low on confidence. 
So is him going to getting dropped to the BFL for a guy that's played one and a half VFL games for us in Jay going to help his confidence when he does so much other stuff fine. He has moments where he just doesn't lead or he gets caught ball watching that again, it's a bit like Zerk Thatcher. Like when it when he when he stuffs up, it looks terrible. But I don't know. Um you know, I mean, it, the problem, yeah. Look, I, I say the same thing about Weedman that I said about Harry Jones at the start of the year, in that it's all well and good to back him in, but at some point, his lack of confidence and inability to hold the marks, as, as you've pointed out, it's going to come back and bite him in the ass. So at some point, it's better to drop him to the VFL just to give him some confidence. Just say, look, we're dropping you back. Go back and take 12 marks in the VFL and kick a couple of goals, and we'll bring you back. Yeah, but look, that's what that's the flip side, isn't it? He might get dropped, and he might be go, "Oh, that sucks." But then he kicks six, and he's got you know he's got his tail up, and then you've got your problem fixed. But I don't know. I think a lot will will be. There's a rumor that he's had a bit of a foot issue the last month, so maybe this is just the 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 circuit break you need. But all in all, like our goal kicking generally is pretty okay. Thirteen eight, Carlton sixteen six. I think they've kicked. You know, 16, 16, 16, 13, and similar sort of stats to that last. Just wowzers. What a, what what the hell is happening with Carl? But anyway, this isn't the Blues podcast. Anything else you wanted to cover? Midfielders are great. I think it was good to see Ben Hobbs getting a fair bit of um, love from the media. I think he's been solid for about two or three weeks now. I thought his game against North Melbourne was incredibly underrated. I think he went sort of head-to-head with Wardlaw a bit, and Wardlaw got a lot of the the shine because he was a bit flashier, but Caldwell and Hobbs and, and Nick Martin as a young midfield, you know, the depth coming through at the very least is, is encouraging to see. It is. And, and look, there is one thing I just wanted to touch on lastly. Um, it's semi-negative, but also mainly positive. That, that, that sort of first half where, where Carlton was sort of moving it, you know, almost seemingly at will at times when they got the ball out and the rebound, that came about because, if you watch their players, they're all they're all flying back to get into the uh, get into space to try and cover space, but they sort of forgot that they had you know that had opposition as well, so they had to watch their men. So that first goal that Carlton actually got when they come back in board, Paul Nick Martin was next to the Carlton bloke, but actually had run fifteen meters to go fill the hole, and then all of a sudden realized that his opponent was going to get the ball and had to turn around and try and sprint back, and they overlapped, and, and as a result, and and he he, he wasn't the only one in, um in that first you know first half that did that there was a lot of that time there where our players were just more focused on covering that hole so that they weren't able to get that kick inside 50 and sort of forgot that they actually probably needed to also be aware of where their opponent was and then when they when we came out in the second half we just tightened that up so much better if there was a man nearby they went to the man if there was no man nearby they filled the hole and so it was a credit to the playing group and it was a credit to to brad scott because it clearly clearly had to have been a message that he made to them at, at the halftime that they just need to be more aware of their surroundings when they're on, on on that sort of zone defense that we set up. And as a result, they, they implemented it well. And it was it was just a great thing to see alongside, as you said earlier, with the Zach Merritt move that, you know, we, we had a coach that identified a couple of issues at halftime. We came out in the second half and the players fixed those issues on the back of, of what looked like some pretty strong messaging and, and really well done strategic wise from, from the coaching group. Yeah. And I think Carlton's foot skills aren't great. I think we were just sort of hanging back, waiting for them to put, make the mistake as opposed to, like you said, the correction was no, just put them under more heat. 
like well, make them execute their poor skills under more pressure than what they're doing at the moment. And you just saw that they folded their their ball use going through the through the middle of the field was you know sort of atrocious at different points. Okay, well that's probably about it. We've got a, a nice injury release really sort of shortening down. We the word is we should be expecting to at least Darcy Parish back after the break, probably doing shield as well. Sort of feels probably another week beyond that. Um, James Stewart, he's appeared on the injury list, um, which is good to see, uh, which means we'll certainly have our options for us against Fremantle. Um, that probably just wraps us up now. We do have another pod going next week that we hope to have a, a very special guest on, and we'll let you know more about that as it comes to hand. But Bont, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure as always. Well, that's this week's edition of the Bombercast. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, and you tell your estimate supporting mates. Uh, go Bombers. <laughs>